Please take your Bibles with me and turn once again to our study of Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. As we begin, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you once again to be able to open your word freely. World that is growing more and more hostile against the truth hating you, and yet here we are able to open your word freely and to hear from you without the fear by law of told to be quiet and not to share these things. Lord, we can sit under it and we can look into it and we can study it together and we can interact with what you have said so that we might know You and so that we might be like Your Son. So we pray this morning that Your Word would do that with us, that it would accomplish all that You have set forth for it to accomplish, knowing that it never returns void. Bless our lives through it, by it, so that You are glorified in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Scriptures tell us in 1 John chapter 2, in verses 1 and 2, this, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. That is a magnificent promise for every professing true believer in Jesus Christ. That we have a celestial advocate for our defense that intercedes for us on our behalf before God the Father when we sin. Well, that's what John says, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If anyone sins, we have that. We know we have that. He can effectually do the advocating on our behalf because He alone is righteous. And He has given Himself as the atoning and satisfying sacrifice for our sin. That's what John says in 1 John chapter 2. He is the propitiation for our sins. He is the atoning and satisfying sacrifice. That's the idea. It's an absolute reality then. John is saying to those who have faith in Jesus Christ, this is an absolute reality because of the sweet teaching of Scripture that we have systematized in Christianity and we understand it to be the doctrine of imputation. Imputation teaches us that God laid upon Jesus Christ our sin and its eternal consequences. And then He imputed to us His perfect, satisfying righteousness. Why? So that upon believing upon Jesus Christ by faith, 
the one who believes is actually declared now and forever innocent before God. The Bible is clear. There is no other way to be innocent before God. Innocence only comes through one way. It is through believing in Jesus Christ as your propitiatory sacrifice. And therefore, if God is the one who declares the way of innocence, if it is God who provides the way into this position of innocence before Him, then when God declares a person innocent by means of Jesus Christ, who in fact is the way the truth, and the life, then they are innocent. And that will never change. Therefore, every true Christian ought to be completely assured of their salvation. If you truly believe in Jesus Christ by faith, then you ought to be completely assured. That is what the Apostle Paul has desired for us to have settled in our hearts and our minds as we have been studying Romans chapter 5. This is now our fourth week, maybe? Fifth week? I don't know. I forgot now. In Romans chapter 5, and we haven't gotten very far because of the richness of what the Apostle Paul has for us, this whole reality of the security that the Christian has by faith in Jesus Christ. Since you have truly believed upon Jesus Christ for your salvation, then, Paul says, rest assured that you have been justified by or in that faith. You have been justified by God By faith, you have been declared innocent before God, and that condition is a permanent condition. You remember what we had talked about over the last several weeks. Since you have been justified, then you need to understand the monumental consequences that are included within justification, within this unity that you have with Jesus Christ, within this forensic declaration made by God that you are justified in His sight because you are unified, linked with, actually with Jesus Christ, you have been justified, then you need to understand the consequences that come with that. And you need to understand them both in your thinking and thereby in your living. We have been looking at these over the last several weeks. You remember what these are. If you haven't been there, I'll list them for us once again quickly this morning. Number one, you have, Paul says, peace with God. We have a new condition. Our condition before Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God remains upon you. You are under the wrath of God. You're an enemy of God without faith in Jesus Christ. But because of faith in Jesus Christ, God declares you innocent. You are now, by way of this position of being justified by faith, you have peace, it says, with God. Verse 1. So you have a new condition. 
You need to understand that in your mind and your thinking, and you need to understand that in your living. That ought to change how you think about life. Secondly, he said, you have a new position. We stand, he says, in grace through Jesus Christ, through that same faith in which we were justified. We have obtained this access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And the idea there is your attachment to Jesus Christ is a position of grace. You are always under the grace of God. God isn't sitting around going, well, yes, you did something wrong. I'm going to smash you. Yes, certainly, Hebrews 12 says, as a loving father, he disciplines those whom he loves. He will chasten those whom he loves, but that is all grace. It would be a lack of grace. It would be a farce of grace for God simply to leave you without challenging you, without doing anything with you because you are a child of his, and a loving father challenges and corrects and chastens even his children. And so we stand in grace. That is our new position. Three, we said we ought to be exceedingly joyful about our glorification. Paul says at the end of verse 2 that we exult in hope of the glory of God. We talked about that last Lord's Day and we said that ought to have some implications for our lives. We ought to be very excited about seeing the full glory of God one day. We ought to be very excited about seeing the full glory of Jesus Christ one day. We ought to be very excited about seeing ourselves fully glorified one day. We ought to be exceedingly joyful about the reality of the proclamation from every mouth and every tongue, both living and dead, from all of history, proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, Philippians chapter 2 says. We ought to be very joyful and excited about the reality that one day we will be sinless. We will be absolutely sinless. These are all rich benefits for us in light of our justification. And these are things for which we ought to boast. Not boast in a bad way, but boast and say, yes, I have all of that because of Christ. Not because of me, not because of what I've done, not because I deserve something from God, but simply because of God's lavishness to me, to me, because of Jesus Christ, I can boast in all of those things. So there should be no boasting about anything that we have done by way of our own salvation. We haven't done anything. We have done nothing that would cause God to like us in any kind of way, or to lavish upon us some kind of mercy that somehow we deserve from Him. We have done nothing to that. And so we boast in one place. We boast in Christ alone. We shout to others about Jesus Christ. And we say to others about our relationship with Christ, I am what I am based upon Jesus Christ. That's it. I'm not yet what I'm going to be, but I am what I am by the grace of God, and one day He will make me perfect in every way. This is our boast. And then Paul says these shocking words. Notice verse 3. And not only this, such a high peak of the mountain. And not only this, 
but we also exult in our tribulations. Some of your translations say sufferings. The word is flipsis in the original language. It, it, it's simply the idea of pressure. Pressure. When I was in college in my early days, before I got saved, I did so well in college, they asked me not to come back for a while. Never seemed to get, let the books get in the way of my education. But that, I was, when doing that, I was pursuing a degree in geology, and I, I just liked geological things. It takes a lot of pressure inside the core of the earth to turn rock into things that we like. Diamonds are the result of God creation putting a lot of pressure on minerals and a lot of heat over time so that you have on your hand something beautiful. That's the idea that Paul's talking about here. Tribulations, pressure, heat, struggle, difficulty. And he's not talking about difficulty that we normally like to think of because we typically like to to lump every difficulty of life within this category of tribulations. And while those things are, are come to us and God allows those kinds of things to come to us by way of His grace, Paul is not specifically dealing here in Romans chapter 5 with the the normal inconveniences and difficulties about life and what life brings about because we live in a fallen world. He's not talking about first world problems. Gee, I got my water didn't run today. They don't have those problems in other countries, you know. They, they have those problems, but in third world countries, they don't complain about the things we complain about, and we call those trials. They're not trials. Those are inconveniences of life. What Paul is dealing with here is not the normal things that test our just our very being in life because they're inconveniences and for us in a first world place. No, he's talking about the pressures, the heat, the, the things that come from you just being a Christian in the world. So that's what he's talking about. Sufferings for knowing Christ. Pressures, tribulations, difficulties because of your relationship with Christ. Because you're identified as a Christian. And because you live actually like a Christian. Now we don't often like to dwell on those things. But the scriptures clearly tell us that this is the norm for the Christian life. And I want to drill down a little bit on this for us this morning before we come to the communion table. Jesus' final words, in fact, to the saved people that he's talking to, remember in our evening time together we're studying the Gospel of John, and and I've entitled the series Jesus' Final Words to a Saved People from chapter 13 all the way through chapter 17 before he goes to the cross. He's just with his disciples. He's out of the public eye now. It's his final few hours. And in chapter 16, he reminds them, he reminds us who are saved, of the fact 
that there's going to be trouble in the world. This is before he goes to the cross. John chapter 16, verse 32 and 33. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, to leave me alone, and yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. And these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In other words, so that the relationship you have with me and and the, the unity that you have with me that you don't fully understand, but you have a unity with me, so that in me you may have peace because in the world you have tribulation. That's the same word. In the world you have this pressure because you're attached to me, but take courage, I have overcome the world. You see, this is the norm for the Christian life. We sometimes wonder why things are going so difficult for us in life, and oftentimes we may be wondering that simply because the the consequences of some sinful habit in our life are taking effect. It isn't because we're, we're just living out our Christian life. But oftentimes when we're living out our Christian life and there's pressure coming upon us, sometimes we wonder, why is it so hard? I mean, God, come on. Listen, this is the norm of the Christian life. But we are to take courage, Jesus said, because he has overcome the world. And so the Apostle Paul comes along and he reminds all of us again, not only will we have tribulation in this world, But, he says, because you're justified, you are to actually glory in it. Not only this, he says, verse 3 of chapter 5 in Romans, but we also glory, that's the idea, this exuberant joy in our tribulations. You go, come on, Paul. Really? I want to say to each of us this morning, there is no greater litmus test for our profession of faith than how we respond to these kinds of tribulations in life. You say, why do you say that? Because far too often today, in evangelicalism, the gospel of Jesus Christ is touted to be some kind of system through which the difficulties and problems of life are going to be fixed. In fact, it's even said sometimes that they will disappear. In other words, just come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus and your life will get better, some will say. We subtly oftentimes even do that ourselves, right? We often look at a person's life. We survey their their life struggles. We survey the difficulties of life. It may be filled with all kinds of worldly uh, practices, worldly troubles. There's relationship difficulties within families. There are financial issues that take place. There are legal issues that happen. Maybe there's drug issues, and we'll say to ourselves oftentimes, they just need to come to Jesus. You ever said that? You ever thought that? They just need to come to Jesus. It's true. They do need to come to Jesus. They need to come to Him because their eternal destiny is hell. And if they do not believe, if they do not have faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, they will end up in eternity in hell, 
So it's true, they do need to come to Jesus for their eternal reality. They truly come and are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He's going to begin to root out in their lives behaviors and practices that are sinful things. But, but, if they actually live for Christ, come to Jesus Christ and it's true they believe upon Jesus Christ and they start to live out their faith for Jesus Christ as the scriptures declare and as the scriptures command then they will in fact have far greater tribulations that they ever faced before they ever knew Christ Jesus says in this world you will have tribulations why? because you're a Christian And hopefully you're living as a Christian should live. And so the question that I have this morning is how are we to respond to tribulation? And how we respond to tribulation is, in fact, as I said, I believe, a litmus test for our faith. It is also a a spiritual gymnasium, if you will, for our faith. It's something we should be boasting about because of what it does to us. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're still not sure about this idea of a litmus test for our faith. But I want to show you why I say that from Scripture. This probably is all we're going to get to this morning before our time around the communion table. and We'll get to the how it works itself out in our life to our benefit next Lord's Day. But I want to get to this this morning because it's so important for us. And the first place I want us to turn is Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Surely, reading through the Gospels, you've come across this passage. And you have read it to yourself. Maybe you've even pondered what it all means But the Lord Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 13 a parable concerning the sowing of seed. He did that often so that those who the Spirit was drawing would understand. And it was a clear demarcation line between those who God was drawing and those who God was not drawing. And in the parable, the sower goes out and he spreads seed. And we know that the seed in this parable is the gospel. He goes out. And he shares the gospel. He's a broadcaster of the gospel, if you will. And so the sower goes out and he broadcasts the seed. And the seed lands on different types of soil. Soil that has different characteristics about it. And we know that the types of ground represent different ways or or different conditions, if you will, of the heart of man and how man appropriates the message of the gospel or how the ground receives the seed. So this is the essence of the parable. The gospel is broadcast and it falls upon differing responses of man. And in the parable, some seed falls upon, notice verse 5, some falls upon rocky places. Rocky places. One of the characteristics of this ground was that the seed only got a shallow acceptance. The gospel 
was taken in and yet only had a shallow acceptance. You notice in verse 5, others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. Why? Because they had no depth of soil. So when the gospel is preached, it's immediately accepted, and greenness of plant springs up quickly. It appears as if there's real life there. In other words, this life hears the gospel, and it embraces it right away. It begins to look like a a real Christian plant, if you will. But, because it came from a shallow acceptance, it had no depth, no deep root system, because it was on rock, it's a rocky soil, what happens? Verse 6, When the sun had risen, they were scorched. Because they had no root, they withered away. In other words, it's really a sad and quick-lived profession. Apparent life, apparent Christianity. But in the end, it doesn't last. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because if you turn over to... The next page, maybe in your Bible, like mine, verse 18 to 23, you get an explanation from Jesus Christ about the parable and what he's actually meaning with what he's saying in the parable. You get a full explanation as to why this seed, the gospel that goes to the one who's a rocky, like a rocky soil, why it doesn't take its full root. In verse 20 and 21, we see that the one in whom the seed was sown on the rocky places This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet, he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when, get this, affliction or persecution arises, why? Because of the word, immediately he falls away. In other words, when put to the test... By way of harassments, that's the word here in verse 22, 21 for affliction. The idea is harassments. By, by way of harassments from the world because of the word of God that he now has professed and pressures, that word there for persecution, the same word that Paul's using in Romans chapter 5, because of that pressure from the world, because of the harassments of the world, because of the word of God, what he claims now to believe, because of that, Comes up shallow. Immediately, he falls away. In other words, this is a person who professes belief, says, I believe in Jesus. And even looks like a Christian for a short time. Says, oh yeah, I believe Jesus. And and, and his life is kind of edited for a while. It shows some greenery. Yet in the end, they reject their belief because of the pressure and harassment of the world. Jesus says this is like those who have quickly embraced the gospel as a panacea, if you will, for their their lives' troubles. They have every kind of solution. They've tried it. 
They've tried to fix their lives in all kinds of ways. And then a friend or an acquaintance talks to them about Jesus. You need Jesus. And they quickly accept it, thinking that, that Jesus is now the answer. Jesus is going to fix their problems. Jesus is going to take care of all the difficulties. Jesus is going to correct the finances and the relationships and all of these kinds of things in that kind of way. And they quickly pray some kind of quote-unquote salvation prayer. And they're told they're saved. Yet, when life's troubles don't end, people find out that they claim to now believe the Bible They begin to get ridiculed and ostracized because they claim to believe the Bible. They say, but I thought that if I believed in Jesus, life was going to get better. I didn't think it was going to be this way. Jesus says this is how the Christian life is. In this world, you will have tribulation. And so what is to be our reaction to tribulation in the world? Well, we're not simply to have courage. We're not simply to go, okay, I know I'm going to have trouble in this world. I know there's going to be tribulation because I have, I, I'm attached to Jesus Christ and the name of Christ is upon me and, I, and I'm called to live for Christ and I want to live for Christ. That's my desire to live for Christ. So I'll just grab myself up by my spiritual bootstraps and I'll just have courage in the face of all of that not how we're supposed to only respond. We're not to simply have some passive restraint to it and say, go ahead and step on me, it's okay. No. Romans chapter 5, Paul says we are to exult in our tribulation. We're to exult in our tribulations. That's the same word that we've already heard him say In verse 2, we exult in the hope of our glory. In other words, we're to glory in the tribulation. We're to glory in them. We are to make the tribulations our boasting. In other words, the reaction of the truly saved is not to cut and run when tribulations happen. No, it's rather to glory in them. You know what holds the martyr to the stake when the fire is being lit on the wood beneath him? The reality of exulting in the tribulation. Glorying in the reality of it. Paul isn't saying that we glory in spite of it. He isn't saying that we resign ourselves to the fact of it. He isn't saying any of that. What Paul is saying is that we are to glory in the midst of it, but not in the midst of it only. He certainly is implying that we are to glory in the midst of them, but he means way more than that. What he is saying is that we glory, we make our boast in them. Why? Because of them. Because of them. That's the meaning of the the word in our tribulations. But we also boast or glory in our tribulations. We glory, we boast on account of them. We boast because they show us who we truly are. They show 
us to truly be believers. We glory in them because they're a litmus test for our actual reality. In other words, they are being used by God to further assure us of our actual and complete unity with Jesus Christ by faith. Oh, it's good that we have peace with God and we know that in an intellectual way. It's great that we know we stand in grace and we we know that in an intellectual way. It's awesome that we can think about the reality of seeing the glory of God and seeing the glory of Jesus Christ and realizing our glorification and the, the sinlessness of our life one day and the reality that Jesus Christ will be proclaimed as Lord of all by every mouth that has ever been created by God. But it is so phenomenal to think and realize that God would not only do that to assure us, but that He would allow tribulations that would help our security in our heart and mind. Let me say it this way. Harassments from the world, pressures brought into your life by the world because of the Word of God, because you are a living, true Christian, should not discourage you but rather they should encourage you that you truly are a child of God. I was fascinated once again in my studies by the reality that this is all over the place in the New Testament. This is all over the place in the New Testament. Let me just show you a few places. The first one is Matthew chapter 5. Let's go back once again to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, this is Jesus. These are words that are absolute truth. Just like all the other scriptures, but people seem to want to debate that. And so you, you come to the words of Jesus who says the same things that the apostles are saying. Why are they saying that? Because the Holy Spirit is doing it through it all. Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this in verse 10 through 12. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, there's a proving reality to that. Blessed are those who have been persecuted, those who have gone before you, who have been persecuted. Know this. They are with me in the glories of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're there now. And blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Because your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're in good company. Paul's saying. That's what the Jesus is saying. Listen, you're in really good company. Those who have gone before, those who have been persecuted and are in the kingdom of heaven with me, right, in the glories of heaven right now, are those who were persecuted before you were ever persecuted or before you ever were going to be persecuted. You're in good company with them. So rejoice. Rejoice in that. Again, over in Acts chapter 5, 
We see this idea once again unfolded for us. Acts chapter 5, you remember the apostles are being persecuted because they have preached Jesus Christ. They, they claim to know Jesus Christ. They have challenged the religion of the day, saying there's only one way to be saved, that is through Jesus Christ. Peter's sermon in chapter 2 was clear on the day of Pentecost. Everybody knew who Peter was. Everybody knew the challenge he was to the people. Peter's gone about with the others, and they are preaching the gospel, and they are being thrown in prison, and they are being threatened about what they are saying. Don't preach that gospel, they are being told. And then they are led away after that. And in verse 41 of chapter 5, it says, So they went on their way from the presence of the council. What? Rejoicing. Why? Because they'd just been challenged, because they'd just been hurt, because they were spending time being arrested and dragged in before the authorities of the day? No. They are rejoicing, notice, that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. They were rejoicing in the midst of it all because of what it proved to them what it showed them, what God was graciously showing them about the condition of them and their relationship with Him. They were actually children of God. So they're rejoicing that they are in prison? No, not really. Not rejoicing because they're locked behind bars. They're rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer shame. Yeah, the shame was in the... the, form of a prison cell. It came looking like that, but it was for the name of Christ. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, for you, or for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, (laughs) for to you it's been granted for Christ's sake. In other words, on behalf of Christ and for Christ. Not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. It's been granted to you by God for Christ's sake, not only that you would believe in Him and that He would bring you to the Father and He would present you to the Father, all to the glory of God the Father, but also that you would suffer for His sake. How? How do we suffer for His sake? Verse 30, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul says, oh, you want to know how that suffering is going to look? It's going to look the same way it looks in my life. What's going to happen with you is common to the Christian. You say, well, what was happening with Paul? Well, Paul's writing to the Philippians. Where's he writing from? jail. He's in a Roman prison. Why? Because of the name of Christ. Because Paul said, we preach Christ and Him crucified. 
because Paul said you can't get there according to the law. You can't obey the law and find your way to be justified. There's no way to be justified through that. You've got to stop thinking that you can be justified by your works. It's only in Christ. It's only by faith in Christ. This is how God's designed it. It's been that way since the start. Remember Abraham? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteous. Remember that? You can't get there any other way. Oh, really, Paul? You're going against everything we've ever taught. You're going against the councils. You're going against the religious system. Guess what? We'll throw you in prison for a while so that you'll just be quiet. Paul says in Philippians, the whole Praetorian guard knows about why I'm here. I preach to the guard, and the guards are telling others why I'm here, that it's because of Christ. And you're encouraged because you hear that I'm proclaiming Christ where I'm at. And the same thing is going to happen to you. Guess what? It's going to be in the same way. You're going to suffer the same way. So this persecution is something that has been given to us. We don't often think about God's gift like that. We don't think about that being included in salvation. Okay, I got my fire insurance. I put it in my pocket. I'll just go live now. Everything's good. No. No, he says, why? Why is it going to happen? Why has it been given to you so that you would be encouraged in your assurance of faith? So that you'd be encouraged in your assurance. Of course, we all know the classic text that we typically go to when we think about persecutions and difficulties and trials in life, right? We always turn to James chapter 1. It's that classic text that we go to because it speaks to these realities. And all of these, by the way, if you're ever studying James, all there's, there's 13 tests to show if you're really in the faith. And the first one James starts with is this, persecution. Persecution. James chapter 1, verse 2. Con- consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. James is not saying, hey, listen, trials are fun. Just laugh in them. Ha, ha, ha. No. They're not fun. We do not like them. No. James says, listen. Verse 12. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Why? Because once he has been approved. That's the idea of testing. Uh, burning a metal so that the dross comes to the top and the assayer can drag off or the the, the smelter can drag off the, the dross, the worthless parts. After he's been approved, he'll receive what? The crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. It's not saying that you'll earn your crown. He's not saying that you'll earn your salvation. He's saying, listen, it proves who you are. It's a proving who you are it's a it's a litmus test for your faith it's gonna it's gonna solidify settle in your heart and mind the assurance that you ought to have based upon peace with god and you stand in grace and the fact that you can boast in your glorification peter says it this way first peter chapter four do not think it strange these fiery trials that happen to you don't think it's strange But rejoice. Why? That you're partakers in the sufferings of Christ. Well, that's nice, Peter. Why should I do that? 
So that when His glory is revealed, you'll be glad with exceeding joy. See, your joy will be, you'll, you'll be like, man, this is phenomenal. Paul says these momentary light afflictions are nothing compared to the glory that's to be revealed in Jesus Christ. That's what Peter's saying, the same thing. Don't think it's strange, these fire, these hot trials that happen to you, but rather rejoice that you're a partaker in them because when Christ is coming, man, it's going to be sweet. This is just assuring you of that reality. clear from the teaching of Scripture that our reaction to suffering is part of what God uses to show who we truly are. How does that work itself out in practice? How does that exuberant joy that Paul talks about in verse 3, right? not only peace, not only grace, not only this glorification, and not only that, so on. basically, here's the cream on top of that cake. We also exult in our tribulation. How does that work itself out in practice? Well, let me say it this way. And then we'll end our time this morning and have our time around the communion table. We, we can glory in our tribulation. We can exult in our tribulations because, we'll delve into this more later, but because our faith enables us to see them in such a way as to realize that instead of working to crush our hope, our faith enables us to see these tribulations in such a way so that they work not to crush our hope, not as something that causes us to be discouraged, which is what Satan would love. Satan would like you to go, see, you're under trial, you're under tribulations, you must not be saved. You see, look at that, you're a worse person. You're worthless, God could never love you. That's what Satan wants you to believe, just like he said to even the guard, surely God has not said. No, they work to actually strengthen our hope, not crush it. So how do you know that? Look at what he says. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint. You see, we have a hope in Christ. We have a hope because of Christ. We are enveloped with Christ, and He is our hope. And so tribulations don't crush our hope like Satan would like it to do but rather it strengthens our hope. Let me say it again with the word I used last week when I was teaching, with the word certainty. Certainty. Assurance. That's, that's what assurance really is. It's certainty. We can glory in our tribulations because our faith enables us to see them in such a way as to realize that instead of working to crush our certainty, to undermine our certainty, to undermine our assurance, they actually work to strengthen that certainty, strengthen that assurance. 
This is why God allows them. This is why He allows them. And how He uses them in our lives, we'll unfold that next time. And the rest of verse 3 and all the way down. How He unfolds that in our lives. Well, before we come to our time of communion, I just want to pray with us and for us. I, I hope this little picture has encouraged your heart. I hope it's encouraged your heart to, to think about what you're going to now celebrate as a family. The crushing of Jesus Christ. The sufferings of Jesus Christ so that God could actually save you and declare you innocent before Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this wonderful text in Your Word. Lord, help us to understand fully the precious consequences of having been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Help us rest in the absolute security that is inherent in actually knowing You by faith. Lord, may we, by Your grace, live as we ought to live. May we live to the glory of Your great name as we proclaim in word and in deed the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ our Savior. And Lord, when you allow persecutions to come, when you allow pressure and harassments from the world to happen, help us glory because of it. Help us praise you because of it. For your name's sake, we pray. Amen.